Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Radiohead. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Prince Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? This is Ellie Einhorn. Welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined from Chicago by Josh Modell. What's up, Elia? Hey, great to have you back on the podcast, man. My pleasure. Listeners, we have a very cool show for you today. Dilly Dally's Katie Monks in conversation with Tokyo Police Club's Dave Monks. Did you realize that the last name is the same? These are siblings. Brother and sister, you mean? How did you know, Josh? (laughs) I just want to set up this podcast by sharing a quote that Katie drops a few minutes in. I don't know if this is a therapy session or a podcast. (laughs) Awesome. Always like the danger, right, with siblings where they're going to kind of go off. But I think this one is a nice mixture of talking about their music and talking about their relationship. It really is. And, And we get to hear so much about their new records. Both bands have just dropped new albums. For Dilly Dally, that's Heaven and Tokyo Police Club have just dropped TPC. Now, Josh, I first heard Dilly Dally's name in 2015. I had not heard their music, but I had one of those magical South by Southwest moments that do still exist, despite what you might hear, where you go to see a band play, in this case, Downtown Boys, and a band that opens up absolutely fucking blows you away. I could not believe how good Dilly Dally were on stage. There, there's some grunge. There's some punk. Yeah, and maybe like a little bit of a goth swirl happening every now and again. For sure, for sure. And and Katie's voice is beautiful and songwriting is very, very powerful. Now, Katie's a couple years younger than Dave and she watched Tokyo Police Club take off. She watched her brother become a rock star, all the while harboring her own dreams for a band. Now, she and her high school friend Liz Ball had a lot of confidence, man. They, they were convinced that they were going to be the next Oasis, so much so that before their own band even officially started, they each got dilly-dally tattoos. Yeah, that's not messing around. I'm, I'm going to get lottery winner tattooed on my arm and see if I can <laughs> live up to that the same way she did. <laughs> Listeners, check out one of the standout tracks on one of the standout records of this year. From Dilly Dally's new record, Heaven, this is Sober Motel. What an awesome song. And moving on to Tokyo Police Club, they've been a band for a lot longer than Dilly Dally. They've been making music since Dave Monks was somewhere around 18. Right. Tokyo Police Club formed back in 2005. Dilly Dally didn't release their first record till a decade after that. So Tokyo Police Club just released their fourth album, TPC, sort of almost self-titled, but not quite. Here's an excellent track from that called Simple Dude. Dancing in the rain Cause I'm just a simple dude With an ordinary mind I want you in your body Hold it next to mine Cause everything you do is a new sensation For today's talk 
Katie and Dave holed up in Dynalone Studios in their hometown of Toronto and chopped it up about a lot of things. And listeners, this episode gives you a little peek behind the curtain as far as the TalkHouse podcast process. Now, sometimes artists or their teams will ask for prompts, things that we'd be interested in hearing the artists talk about. And we'll always send those ideas with the caveat, these are conversations to be led by the artists. These are just some ideas they can use if they'd like. Well, Dave and Katie decided to use them as an outline for their conversation. And I have to say, their talk gets pretty deep. We hear all about their upbringing and how it influenced their artistry. And they talk about how they help each other, which I thought was really interesting. I think at one point they basically say, well, I wouldn't have made this record without your influence and I wouldn't have made this record without your influence. So essentially they're saying, you know, they're really a support system for each other, which is nice to hear. It really is. And, and you know, both Dilly Dally and Tokyo Police Club have been through some rough times in the last few years. Both bands seriously considered splitting up before recording their newest records. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to note that there's a song on each record that's sort of about getting your mojo back in a way. There's a song on the Dilly Dally record called Believe, which basically says believe in yourself over and over. And then there's a song on the TPC record called Ready to Win, which is basically like, here's all the ways I've fucked up, including I've Dave singing about how he's fucked up his relationship with his family, but that now he's kind of in it to win it, for lack of a better phrase. Now, Josh, that sort of leads into this very cool thing that happened with this podcast that you and I did not anticipate as it was coming together, which is that Dave and Katie actually dropped some pretty cool news, which is that they've been collaborating on a record. Yeah, and it's funny because at some point they kind of talk about how they don't play each other their music when they're in the process of making it. But then they say, oh, well, maybe we should just make this the world premiere in a way of, <laughs> of our new thing, which, uh, you know, as they told us, has no name and no album title and is definitely a departure for both of them. It really is. And Josh, I was so excited when they sent us a track to premiere on today's episode. So listeners, after Dave and Katie's conversation, keep it locked because we are going to drop the world premiere of their track, which is currently untitled. It's a file called Track 24. But first, we hear from Dave and Katie all about the life lessons they picked up from those two kids down the street and learning about religion through The Simpsons. Josh, we roll the tape? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, we're sitting at the Dine Loan office, the Dine Loan Records office. It's me and Katie. Hi, Katie. What's up? And we're on Joel's couch and we're drinking coffees. Mmm, coffee. Mmm. Sweet. What are the questions, Dave? Okay, here's the first question. What about your upbringing fostered or inhibited your creativity? I feel like we were always congratulated for being unique, I guess, or like Special. having opinions. Yeah. About stuff. Fuck, I don't know. I remember mom used to hang out with us and draw. Mom was a great drawer. Yeah. But actually, I think what was really big was that you and I like got really angry at other kids when they would copy us. That's so true. And I feel like there was definitely times when I would copy your creative ideas. Like I would copy like the way you drew dinosaurs or the kind of stuffed animals you wanted to buy and stuff. Well, I was so good at drawing dinosaurs, though. You were really good at drawing dinosaurs, but then I learned how to get, be good at drawing dinosaurs through that. That's true. But I feel like 
once I learned how it felt when other people copied me, it was it was a big heavy topic of conversation. Like I when think, uh, the house. we bought those wolf yak backs. Oh, yak backs. Okay, fine. There was totally like these two awesome kids who lived down the street and they were both one year younger than both of us. And it was like an older brother and younger sister. And they copied so many things that we did because we yeah. did have the best ideas. They were like our <laughs> they were like our childhood growing up reciprocal friends. They were our friends, but they were also like our arch nemesis. And they we had these stuffed wolves that we got from like Northern Getaway in the Upper Canada Mall. What, what? Um, Newmarket. And uh, we had these sweet wolves and then they each bought the wolves and then they each bought another wolf each. And then before we knew it, they had like a whole pack of these wolves and even the names, like I remember mine was called Howler and then they were like, oh, look Howlette. at my- let. Was that yours? No, they had, they had one, one called, called Howlet. Howlet. Yeah, I was like, this is blatant plagiarism. Yeah, it got intense. I think like learning that at a young age that you can't, you know, the intellect, intellectual property is, you know, so easy to have stolen from you. Yeah. And <laughs> there was something deep inside me that was like, this is fucking wrong. Like this is immoral to steal my ideas, like every time I would have a cool idea to do something or, you know, dress up as something for Halloween, it would be copied by someone else. Uh, you know, and then our parents would always, well, just because you have great ideas and and you should no, share I, your ideas. No, I feel ideas. like they were more like, I, f I remember, <laughs> I feel like our friends' parents were more like, well, like, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And our parents were more like, no, that's really, that's crazy. Like, Really? But then I copied you. I don't know if this is a therapy session or a podcast. It's like a family therapy session. Yeah. Let's talk about our childhood. Our parents are actually in the room right now. They just don't have microphones. <laughs> yes, <you're saying>. <laughs> <laughs> they have like Whatever. those, they have like those electric um, uh, shock mechanisms beside them, like in the Simpsons where they all sit around zapping each other in that like group therapy exactly. session. Exactly. I was talking with dad about how uh, The Simpsons, this is pretty off topic now, but it was like watching The Simpsons on Sunday night was like the end of the weekend. It was like the last hurrah. It was on Sundays, which is like most families go to church on Sundays, but we would all watch The Simpsons. Right. That was our religion. And actually learn about Bible stories. Like the only way I knew about any Bible stories, like Adam and Eve and all that stuff was through parodies on The Simpsons. That's the extent to which The Simpsons was a religion in our house is absurd. Like if you looked at our Christmas tree, yeah, it is all Simpson decorations. It's true, and the Simpsons trivia that we play, that we play, that Dad wails at. Like he's so good. I'm yeah. Really bad at so the thing is about our parents is that they both work as computer programmers, like in IT and stuff at corporations, whatever. Well, they're retired now. They're they're retired now. Bless. Which is which is wonderful that we can say that our parents are retired. It is so like I feel really privileged to be able to say that. They're Whether both, my children will have that privilege, I'm not sure. Right. So they both actually didn't have jobs as artists, as musicians at all. And I think that that's why we were raised to go back to the question. Yes. 
I think that is why we were raised and encouraged to be creative and be told you can do anything you want to do. Just do what makes you happy. Well, I, yeah, I feel like they They're, are hyper creative people and it hasn't necessarily been expressed in their work or whatever, but they came, but they're like, they're like rule breakers to the core. And like, they came from, you know, Ireland in the eighties where there was a whole bunch of different social norms and people expected, I think maybe people maybe expected less out of life than people do here in Canada. You know, they moved when we were tiny to the GTA and uh, they're artistic souls without being creators of like, you know, books or music or carpenters or anything but like yeah they are that type of personality and so I think they really raised us to be like go do it like figure that thing out yeah and to go back to you know the Simpsons and how we were raised in that regard like I think a lot of that came from the fact that our parents left a country that was so religious you know and intertwined with the Catholic Church with the government and all of that like literally taught by priests and and nuns like and then as well, our dad is like really funny and would always perform for yes. us. We were his audience growing we up. We were his audience. So he really is, I think, a comedian at heart through and through. Like Totally. So I, and when he sings, like he's really good at rhyming and making up songs and stuff. <laughs> he's really good at improvising. My name Comedies. is Fred. I'm a sleepy head. I like to spend my days in bed. Genius. That's a that's a that's a smash. Did, did he write that? Yeah. Okay, that that was lit. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. So I think that we were encouraged, you know, to become if we wanted to be a comedian, a comedian, if we wanted to be a musician, a musician kind of thing. Totally. Anything we did was like, I remember having the band over and we were in the garage and we were all in like grade 10. And I think it was like, we were playing Ghostbusters and Graham's dad and our dad came into the garage when we were done and they were both just like flipping out, like fantastic. That was amazing. Like whatever our like, yeah. us murdering the Ghostbusters theme and like it was so felt so cool (laughs) it's so weird someone told me recently that like oh you your and David's parents must have really protected you from from all of the judgment around your decision to become musicians man they totally did but but I actually think that they didn't protect us from it so much as the fact that they were equally as romantic about the whole idea I think that our parents were just as in it as we were. Yeah. And they weren't protecting us from harsh criticism from their peers about how to raise their kids or whatever. I don't think they were They were just like preparing us. I think that they were just, they themselves were so in love with the idea as well. And they believed in us so blindly and naively, just as we believed that we could become superstar superheroes yeah it takes so much actually i think this is a good thing to talk about too is like i read creativity is allowing yourself to make mistakes and art is knowing which ones to keep and i think that art is like this like stumbling process and you'd have so much faith in yourself that you like wind up somewhere positive to go through that 
it takes a huge amount of support. And I think it's kind of, it's pretty criminal how under, how underrepresented it is that, you know, all these great things that exist in our culture don't come from, you know, single minds of genius creators. Like they just come from people who have a ton of support. People who have a lot of support or that are okay with trial and error sometimes, you know, and okay with failing. I was talking to my friend recently. He was like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what to do with my life. I guess he wants to start a new career path or something. And I was just like, yeah, I think you just have to be ready to try out some things and throw yourself in and not be good right away. I think we were always or told not that like, like it right away. Yeah. It's weird. Like we weren't expected to have a plan. It was just like, we're doing this. Okay, cool. Like yeah. it will get figured out. Do you feel like you could ever do that again with a different Thing. career? It's hard now because like I was so naive about everything in the beginning and like you and with this blessing. Like, it's like a it's amazing. Yeah, it I could do it. Yeah. Life is crazy. I could do it. It would be, it would be hard. Like that same feeling of when you like are trying to learn how to play guitar and you have the blisters all over your fingers. But honestly, like. (laughs) That's what I think of when I'm like having to start a new thing all over. And I just think about the time spent when I was a teenager, just getting my, the skin on my fingers become used to it so it wasn't literally painful right or like overcoming stage nerves and that kind of thing for me was like was it yeah big time wow that was like like learning how to be like engage the how to engage the crowd or anything but i also think that in another way we are constantly starting over like every record i make i'm like fuck this maybe like we should just i don't know it's you're always restarting yeah Let's read another question. Um, Because I feel like there needs to be some boundaries and themes here. (laughs) I think one thing that's cool to talk about is like one question here is, do you bounce music from your new albums off each other? Which I think is like a pretty natural question for people to ask. And I think it's amazing how like, like, so the answer is no, like we don't share it's it's pr- it's almost like intentional. Like we don't share music, we don't share like what we're working on, and we're not the people we go to if we need input, because it allows our. I think if 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 you're with me on this, like it allows our support for each other to be just purely based on like helping that person. I mean, I, I definitely feel like you helped me believe in myself. Like, like in writing this last Tokyo album, like I was going through my own process, but every day we'd talk and whatever version of it it was that day, it was just like, Dave, you got this. And like, whatever you're trying to say is valid and like, you're going to get there, you know? And yeah. it wasn't like, is this chorus cool? It was just like... It's more about helping each other through like the psychology of it or something. Like it's something so much just like giving each other the inspiration and energy to keep moving forward. Because I remember, so this new album for Dilly Dally is our first 
follow up to the right, which is debut, which took six years to write or six plus years. So this was the first time that I had the pressure, the timer on. And I just remember Skyping with you. You were in New York at the time. And just the look in your eyes of like so knowing this really unique experience that I was having that most people in the world don't understand that specific feeling of, okay, time to write a record now. After you've toured away all of the energy you have left in you and the friendships in the band are kind of a bit of a question mark or a bit fragile at the time. You're a bit sick of each other from tour. And and then I'm the kind of main, you know, initial songwriter for Dilly Dally. And I was able to Skype with my brother. And I remember the look in your eyes of just kind of Katie this is tough and it's okay that you don't know what it's going to be right now. And it's okay that you don't have a record ready right now. And this is a huge mountain to climb and it's not going to be easy, but you just have to work on music every day. Just the way you always have. You have to find it again. It's like a different ball game, finding your voice once you're already out there. Yeah, it's like such an illusion, you know, that you you think you get really good at a craft and now you're good at it. Right, yeah. But the thing is with art, if you're a professional artist, I'd imagine that any, any uh, professional artist would want to kind of one-up themselves from the last time or, you know, they're in a different place in their lives and they want to represent something else and they want to challenge themselves. It's like the David Bowie quote where it's like, if you're, you don't want to be too much in the shallow end of the pool or too much in the deep end. You want to be right where you can, you just can't quite touch the bottom. And, and that's the amount of unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity (laughs) that you would need in this kind of creative realm of your comfort zone versus the challenge of it. Yeah, totally. Jesus, I mean, I think what one, happened there? One thing Just was like tangent. Well, I mean, here it's an unguided conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that's like really, I always felt about you that like really inspires me is like I would see you and like obviously, especially when Dilly Dally like kind of arrived is like your dream, and like it's always it's always been this way with you, even since like we were kids, and you were like. I have magic powers. Like I definitely have magic powers and like I haven't found them yet, oh but like God, I did believe yeah. that so sincerely. But like your conviction and your belief in your dream is so it's so invincible. Like to me it just seems like fucking like it's Fort Knox and the world for you, I feel like the world doesn't pull you off your path from your dream like where where you know you're going. To me it seems like that. And like for me I think I get sidetracked with other people, like what other people might want from me or like trying to keep everybody happy. But watching you like, like follow this course, I think just like even watching that, like what it wasn't even something that you said probably is just like watching that happen just has been a huge reminder for me to go like, man, like there is a dream in there. And like, there's something that, that I, I feel drawn towards and just to like, charge at that thing like whatever it is and however unknown it is 
just to keep going in that direction and not to get, not to feel like it has to make sense to anybody else. Totally. A part of that is probably just because you're looking through your own eyes and that if it might seem like my dream doesn't get challenged and doesn't have obstacles, you know, that's not true really at all. I mean, there's so many heartbreaks that I have. Where no, I go, I, oh, I don't oh, mean that it no. doesn't have obstacles. No, 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 no. Yeah. Okay, but hear me out. Yeah. But I think as well that because your band started when you were 18 and you didn't have an older brother who was in the music industry. Right. Whereas my band put out our first record when I was 26 and we'd been playing in Toronto for six years. So it kind of really had come to a head. It really solidified and there was a strength there. But then also seeing you, even though, even though a lot of your career, there were times when you were pretty distant from me because you were kind of in the midst of it. You were out just, you know, touring all over the damn place. And I just thought, you know, you were whatever. You were being certainly pulled in a lot of different directions yeah. when, when you were in your early 20s and things had just kind of started. Oh my God, that's true. And you is... were just kind of establishing like, okay, what's Tokyo Police Club? And yeah. it's kind of what I'm going through now, I guess. Yeah, but you get to be an adult doing it as well. Well, yeah, yeah. but you were really mature for your age though. You know, so give yourself some credit there. But Round but what I was going to say, what I'm trying to get at without getting terribly distracted by but anyways, complicated we, and we, long we, history we, we have with each other. We but, both know we're cool. <laughs> but but uh, what I'm trying to say is, is that I think that I learned from your successes and I think I learned from your mistakes as well. Yeah. And you always, every time I would ask you for advice, David, what about this? you know, a contract somebody wants me to sign. David, what about this? I don't know, like whatever. What would I ask you in the early days? Like when it was slim pickings of opportunities for Dilly Dally. But you would always, just no matter what, any question I ever asked about kind of, you know, how can I get as big as your band? Like why is my band not? Sure. Any advice, right? You would always just reinstill in me the message that like I just had to be true to myself and that obviously I could see through you and your experience that this is possible. It's not a stupid dream. It isn't stupid and naive really to think that you can have some kind of a career in music. It was possible. And I think you always taught me if you just make good music, like I don't think you would – you had any other advice than that because that was all you really knew. I know. It seems so like... (laughs) You just have to like make good music. Isn't it weird how that seems like not the point sometimes? You're like, oh, why am I putting all this energy into these songs when I should be like... It doesn't feel like it's the point, especially when, you know, I'm scrolling through my Instagram sometimes and going, oh, well, that band's big because that girl's really like a model or something or that band's big because... You know, they had that producer on their record. Yeah. You know, it's like. I mean, I've had the exact same. You know, like, all of those like yeah. little jealousies and insecurities. Totally. Really, at the end of the day, like, if you put the work in, 
and you make good music, like good shit's gonna happen. And it's like working at the music is the only antidote for jealousy and insecurity. Once you're working on shit, you're just like, cool, I'm doing it. So whatever, I'm trying. Do you feel like you're at a point with your music where you're like, I don't really care what people think about it? No, (laughs) I would like, I wish I was there. Like I want people to like it, but I feel like it's more like there's certain people. It's just like, it's just, it's just like shifted a bit. It's like, I feel. It's different kinds of people. Yeah. It's like people who've like been with with us and like, I don't know what are they just people who've like been around. Like I like, I still want them to feel like they can connect to That's true. And I can go make some. Do you think since you, of course, I remember when you were a teenager and you were an ultimate, you know, obsessive fanboy about the bands that you loved in the same way that I was also an obsessive fangirl about the bands I loved. Do you feel like musicians owe something to their fans to put out sincere music? I I don't know about to your fans. Like, I just feel like to the, I don't know, this is kind of, I guess maybe kind of preachy, but like. Preach. Preach, preach brother. Preach it. I don't know. <laughs> just like when you hear something that's really true, like when you hear something that just resonates is like, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm just trying to like stay true to me and all that shit. And like, yeah, I guess I, I what people can do whatever they want. I feel like I owe it to the world to make sure that I put out like stuff that is actually true to me and not just something that's like, sex and drugs and I'm cool and yeah or not something that's just like oh shit like better get like a sync like I'll just put some jazz on this one and like like everything that's out there also I want people do you mean a jazz master or some jazz music I mean like some hand claps and like oh some like like some like commercially sounding stuff okay yeah and like (laughs) obviously my music has so many hand claps in it but like like I want I want people I want people to like it but no, but David, right you re- did the hand the claps. You did the hand claps wet back when they were cool. That's like cop. We're just talking we about copying the stuffed animals. It's like, it's like that's yes. people people biting my shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you had to swallow that pill a long time ago. Oh my god! But we bit so much stuff. So maybe we're here on this podcast showing off about the stuffed animals you we had, had and how cool they were, how good we are at drawing dinosaurs. Because uh, what about like our Jurassic Park stuffed <laughs> animals? Because I had the raptor named Elvis, and tell them tell everyone about your Triceratops because this part's amazing. <laughs> okay, this is why I didn't want to do the interview with my brother. Oh really? <laughs> We're going. I'm this is joking. off the record, everybody. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, what was your Triceratops called when you were a kid? <laughs> well, first of all, the Triceratops was not like a cute Triceratops. It was like, it was a, like a very realistic looking, yes. hardly a soft stuffed yeah, animal. Totally. Like there was no fluff or anything. And it showed all the scales on it. And totally. De- in detail and print. I think it was like an official Jurassic Park. Yeah, it was like from the scene in the movie where Dr. Ellie Sattler has to go and dig through the dino poo. And then Jeff Goldblum says, dino, dino doo-doo. And then she's like, I'm going to get some lunch. And he's like, make sure to wash your hands first. Wow. This is a <laughs> hardcore tangent right now. Hardcore dino tangent. That didn't. Really Do you want to go so back well. to music? My Triceratops name was Sarah. Yes. Let's go back to music. Wait, I thought it was Rebecca. Oh, okay. Rebecca. That's true. That was so no, bad. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Rebecca. I love that. And I would dress them up in 
dresses and you would get upset. Really? Yeah. What's another question? Were you gonna ask me something? Um, what about what's your favorite guitar to play? I don't care. Like honestly, the closest one to me is the answer. Yeah. Oh, remember the keyboard we had with all the demo songs in it when we were kids? And it had like all the instrumental demos you could press and it would be like... I remember there was one for I Shot the Sheriff. And it was sick. And it was lit. And then there was one for Bob Aran. Yes. And I remember I had just gotten the Lego space shuttle and I was like flying it around being like... And it was like... It was pretty fun. We had a pretty good childhood. We had a great childhood. I. It's pretty... Crazy. I remember one time saying to dad, as a little girl, I remember I was real little, and I said, I'm so happy. I don't remember ever not being happy. I'm just so happy, dad, all the time. That's amazing. And then dad looked down at me and was like, you know, that's really special. And he was like, I spent a lot of my adulthood trying to unlearn my childhood. He was like, that's really awesome that you actually don't have to do that. Like that we're here talking about our childhood. I think that's the art of mom and dad is like they created something officially new when they came to Canada. They, I think they came here out of romance and out of, you know, this blind faith in like the world in a way. And- they just kind of threw themselves into it and wanted to give their kids a fresh start. And yeah, it's like that classic like immigrant story, I guess, which is like, we'll go turn nothing, you know, no education, you know, no like post secondary school education or whatever. It was just like the right time and place. And and the monk says, well, for like me and David and, both our parents like have not, don't have any degrees or anything like that. Yeah. So we've always felt really lucky. We're lucky people. We are super lucky people. We felt really fortunate. And I feel, you know, like throughout my life, I've really gravitated towards people who haven't had that kind of an upbringing because I've just really wanted to show people that there's still beautiful beauty in the world and shit and yeah i think that's why my my music gravitates a bit more towards punk stuff because i've always kind of been attracted to that chaos that's always been like your tribe more like like yeah definitely peeps who are going through shit well and and it's like i guess we both gravitate towards like creative people and stuff like that but i love hanging out with your crew and since I moved back to Toronto, it's been like great. Well, you're you've always gravitated towards nerds. Yeah, I'm a I'm a proud nerd. You're a proud nerd, yeah. and nerds are also outcasts as well as punks. Well, actually, I think another thing is like our whole family experience in Canada was like we were outside, like we were outside the culture. Like when I started playing hockey, like and I was 15, it was like super weird, and I don't know, we weren't like. We didn't have it hard, like we weren't like discriminated against or anything, but we were sort of outsiders no, we were looking white in. AF. Yeah. It's not the typical immigrant experience when you think about it through that sense that we still are have like white ass privilege coming to Canada. And that is true. But yeah. but 
I think we did always feel a bit special because we had Irish parents and we, well, and they fully made us feel special. We felt like the family felt like we didn't have to go by all the rules of what everyone else in the neighborhood was doing. Everyone was making up their own rules. Yeah. It's pretty lit. It was a really special time. And it's something that I was talking to mom on the phone today and I was telling you about, it was just so relaxing talking to her and being like, Mom's in so a great did spot. you do the crossword today? And yeah, it was just really peaceful in contrast to my really stressful pre-campaign. You know what else is moment. hilarious? They're like so proud of both of us. And it comes out in this way where they're like, like when you guys were out with like sore and shit, it was like, oh, like isn't Dilly Dally just doing great? And, and Dave, don't forget, we still love Tokyo Police Club. Oh and my like, God. Yeah. They would, anytime they like shower us, with, yeah, yeah. Anytime they shower us with love, it's like, but you know, but yeah. you as well. It's and, still a lot, like a lot of good songs there too. And <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. They are our They're biggest super fans. Proud. They're super proud. Yeah. They are. How do you guys feel in the podcast world? Are you feeling cool? I think that's it, guys. Whatever. I think we're chill. Okay, we both have oh, albums oh. coming out this fall. We should just say that. Sure, yeah, totally. Yeah. We both have albums coming out, which we didn't collaborate on musically, but we both we support each other. moral support There would be no, other. I'm going to say this, Sibling I'm on the record. Love. There would not be no TPC, mm. the, new TP, the new Tokyo Police Club album, without... Without you, Katie, like definitely wouldn't. 100% right back at you, bro. We did collaborate on an ambient. Yes. On an ambient noise album, which we don't know when it's coming out or what it's called, but we did. It was like a creative exercise. We took a creative break for ourselves in the middle of our writing process and booked out a studio and we turned every speaker on and plugged every guitar and vibraphone in and everything and turned all the mics on. We made like, it's it's like an, I think it's like an hour of music and we spent a weekend making this noise record. Yeah, and I think both of us were feeling really lost at the time. Yeah, I, it was a turning point for me. It was a turning point for me as well, I think. And- in my writing process for the record because I suddenly felt so confident, so much more confident with guitar pedals and noise and and being more like, I don't know, like not as stuck in the same creative box of Dilly Dally. It helped me be right. like, whoa, like kind of the Sound. same the same feeling as when we got that keyboard when we were eight years old, you know, and we were like, whoa, what does this button do? What does that button do? It reminded me of that, except I'm 29 now and we were in the studio and using all this gear that I'd never used and trying to make instruments not sound like instruments. It was great. And also I wasn't living in Toronto at the time, so it was really nice for me to come back and like connect and like be in a familiar space with you and like, yeah, I'm so glad we did that. Yeah, I think it would be really cool to send that music to... Let's send it to somebody. Talk House. Let's do it. I mean, imagine this interview was like laced with like those weird shit. sounds and shit. That would be awesome. And really that would spooky. That so trippy. That would give it like a really trippy vibe. <laughs> it would like, be like, we had the best time where we yeah, had like... We like do, <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> Spare a shekel for next leper. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay, cool. Okay, 
love you guys ambient music to come and uh, thanks for listening to us Katie, Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you also to Dynalone Records in Toronto for recording today's conversation and to our producer, Marky Shizumi. TalkHouse's theme song is composed and performed by The Range. TalkHouse's intern is... Hallie Hewitt. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe to the show. Upcoming conversations include Jawbreaker's Blake Schwarzenbach, Chopping It Up with Chef Graham Elliott. The chopping it up was not a joke there. Tierra Wack with Namdi Ogbanaya, Steve Albini with Devo's Jerry Casal, and Nico Case with Eric Bachman. Okay, stick around because here comes the world premiere of the mysterious Track 24 from David and Katie Monk's Ambient Side Project, which has no name and no title, never before heard anywhere but on TalkHouse. 